So, a little heads up, the following episode contains some language that could be considered objectionable. Language is fluid, and words and phrases can be interpreted differently in different contexts and communities. So, with that in mind, let's start the show. And welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ground Society podcast. I'm your host, Gerald Crook, and uh, we are, it's the month of June, so we're about to get queer as all get out. We're celebrating Pride, um, Alabama style. And um, to do so, I have... And Juneteenth. And Juneteenth, that's right. Thank you. Yeah, so that... that Crucial. it is very crucial, yeah. Um, uh, that voice you just heard is, is uh, my guest for this episode, um, the one and only Brontez Purnell. Say hello, Brontez. Hey, hey hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, like I start off every episode uh, with, with uh, my, my, my good folks. Brontez, tell us, who, who are you? Who, who are you? <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to literally read my bio right now. Um, Brontes Purnell is a writer, musician, dancer, filmmaker, and performance artist, i.e. she keep a paycheck. (laughs) Um, He is the author of a graphic novel, a novella, a children's book, and the novel Since I Laid My Burden Down, recipient of a 2018 Whiting Award for fiction. He was named one of the 32 Black male writers of our time by T New York Style magazine. Um... Purnell is also the frontman of the band The Younger Lovers, co-founder of the experimental dance group, experimental dance group, the Brontes Purnell Dance Company, the creator of the renowned cult zine Fag School, and the director of several short films, music videos, and most recently the documentary Unstoppable Feet, The Dances of Ed Mock. He recently released his current novel, 100 Boyfriends, on FSG MCD. Born in Triana, Alabama, he's lived in Oakland, California for 19 years currently. Boom. There you have it. I love like You're the first person to read your bio, and I just love that. It's very boss smooth because you got a lot of little jewels in there. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you for uh, orienting us to who you are. Now, I want to actually dig in a little deeper. So I first heard of Triana. See, I've been saying it wrong this whole time. I first heard of Triana working with, I think, probably the Bicentennial, Alabama Bicentennial. Tell people where Triana is. <laughs> like, what, what is Triana? Um, it's essentially like, I mean, it started as a farming community okay. and it's outside of Huntsville. So it's, um, kind of, um, there's the Redstone federal arsenal mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the backwood areas bes- beside it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's next to some tributary that flows into the Tennessee river. Sure. So it's sure. in between like, yeah, it's in between realistically in between like Huntsville and Decatur, but like in some kind of river section at the time I grew up there, um, the population was 400 people and primarily black, like 99.9% black. Got it. Okay. Um, so now that I'm thinking about it, actually it was, uh, I was with the humanities foundation, actually, and we were looking at, you said tributaries and that that's where the bell came in. It's cause, cause it's kind of like in a, like a waterway area, right? I'm, I'm getting that. So, yeah, it's in, I mean, the, it's the Tennessee Valley, so it's yeah. in the River Valley. Yeah, 
what was it like growing up there? I mean, I'm also from a small town, but we had more than 400 people. So <laughs> tell what was that like? And, you know, I never know how to answer it really, because it's just um I think I had so much time to contemplate, you know. Um there's I mean, there's just so, there's so much to fucking talk about. That's such a broad question. I'm gonna try to like I'm gonna try to pare it down, but um very very like very that part where like I felt like they were trying to really bring suburbia, that suburban feel to the backwoods. Finally, I feel like in between like, you know, the 50s and like in the late 80s when that started happening. Right. My mother had a farmer's loan house, okay. which like um, as I understood it, it's like where, you know, it was like for like, you know, single single family single parent families or whatever she later like married my stepdad and so this was not always the case it switched in between but basically they give you like an acre of land in this like three-bedroom house and this really cheap rent and I think the idea was to like encourage economic growth amongst you know women in that particular group you know to have a home to own them I don't know how fucking well that worked out but yeah (laughs) But then also, like, I was, I was conceived, I was conceived and attended um, Alabama A&M. My oh. parents met at Alabama A&M in the 70s, and okay. yeah, my mom had me during her graduation. I actually went to Alabama A&M for a year, but I was laughed out for being too punk and too gay. Um, but also, it's a, it's a pretty crazy place, because, like, that's where Sun Ra graduated from. Wait, I had no idea. What? Yeah, Sun Ra graduated from there, like in the forties. But yeah, Sun Ra's from Bessemer. Like, was ba- is buried in Bessemer. Okay, yeah, you better give me this history lesson. I had no idea. What the heck? So that's gonna definitely come up later on in some higher ground society stuff. <laughs> that's oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but then also, well, but then also like. I went to school in kind of like the Madison school system. It was like, why, like, I don't you know. I went to like this blue ribbon school and, you know, I was placed, you know, it's like kind of like how they like talk about how there's two school systems that operate in Alabama, like the advanced placement courses in the regular school mm-hmm. system or whatever. Like, but I, I do think that if I had went to school in the next county over, like Limestone County with my cousins, I probably would have had a way different experience. I'd probably, you know, have a deeper accent, maybe even stayed in Alabama, but I was around like kind of, I don't know, the multicultural mix as Alabama got for like, you know, people like, you know, engineers, people that were like working on the like army base, like Mm -hmm. space flight attendants, military people, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like, there was always a huge mix of like, you know, like Asian, mixed, mixed race, Indian, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember explaining what my class was to, like, some of my cousins, and they, their classrooms did not look like that in the next county over. Yeah, so there's so. that caveat. Sure. Um, but yeah, they kind of, yeah, they bust us into that school system. But it's still just, I was right down the road from, like, like the kind of next farm community over where my mother was born and you know, my great-grandmother and my grandmother and, you know, so on and so forth. 
That's beautiful. Well, it's awesome that you had. That's a, it's very. I'm glad you pointed that out because that's very uh, typical. I think even now, where you know those areas are still kind of mirroring the same thing. Like you got some really high concentrated development in Huntsville, the Huntsville area. I mean, it's always been said that Huntsville is going to be overtake Birmingham as the largest city in the metropolitan area here in the next few years. Uh, but then you go right down the road and then it seems that the development isn't really spreading out like it might need to, right? So uh, it's good to hear that, well, not good to hear, but it's interesting that you that you are basically reporting in the same situation um, not too long ago. So um, you mentioned <laughs> you went to A&M and you said you got laughed out for being too punk and too gay. Uh, so that's actually like one of the next things I was going to ask. What actually inspired you or motivated you to leave Alabama? Was that it? Or was there something else that kind of led you to get out and then head elsewhere? Well, it's kind of a, it's, oh gosh, it's so many like stories at once. It was, it was really difficult, like, because I remember around 2006 when Pharrell came out and Pharrell was like, you know, from 2006 on, like, niggas was rocking skinny jeans. They had their vans on and they looked like sneakers. So, <laughs> you know, just coming right before the cusp of that, like, niggas was really spooked by me. And also going to, like, like an HBCU, mm-hmm. right, where it's like, I remember sitting down with the counselor and telling her that I had a hard time, Right. Because, yeah, like, I was a punk. I was, like, reading zines. I was, like, things that millennials are just so exposed to now just on the um, computer. Like, these kind of thoughts weren't popping up like that. You didn't just get it on the TV all the time or you had to really be looking for it. Mm -hmm. So I remember, like, just crying in this counselor's office. And that fucking bitch was, like well, where did you go to high school? And I was like, oh, Bob Jones. And she was like, oh, well, that's your problem. Like, you've forgotten Jesus and you've forgotten how to pray and you want to be white. Which is another... No, this is like... And this is another thing that fucking niggas do to one another. Like, seriously, like, when you're like, let you contest Christianity, let you, like, kind of... I don't know. Like, I just, I felt like in that moment, I didn't understand, but that woman was basically an overseer. You know what I'm saying? And she was doing it from the seat of like a black college pretending to be a pro-black person. Mm. It wasn't really like that. Like, um, I I remember the first day of Western civilization in like Western civilization. This was Alabama A&M. It Mm. was a white teacher. It was a fucking white teacher. Mm. He showed us this picture of like these like slaves, like hanging from trees, like, he showed us these lynching pictures mm-hmm. and he was literally like, how many of you believe in God? Whoa, wait, um, what? <laughs> okay. So now let me get, let me take you to this. This was a heavy fucking scene. Yeah. He's like, how many of you believe in God? And then he was like, how many of you don't believe in God? And I was the only one that raised my hand uh-huh. and from then on out in that class. Like it was fucking open season on my ass. Like, wow. you know what I'm saying? But he, the question he followed with was, well, what kind of God would let this happen? Like, like kind of, you know, like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's like, that was like, you know, he was really like, you know, I actually really liked that teacher. That teacher, but then also this was like a land grant school. And so if like, you're the kid from down South that's going to like this kind of like, this kind of boutique school, right? 
and like you're meeting up with every kid that went to like every podunk school from St. Louis on over to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like of course, like I stuck out like a thumb or whatever. I mm-hmm. think I could do a lot better with it these days, but that was the first kind of impetus where I was like, okay, I gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> now, also, I was like playing in bands and I was like pen pals with people. Like okay. there was a punk rock like pen pal service where I met like, you know, punks and like, California, Arizona, but also people in my own state. Right. Uh Now it was these two, it was these two boys that I knew down in Mobile. Like I think my my band, I was in this all black punk band called the socialized in high school. I was in, in high school, right. This is how cool my high school was. I found the one other black punk girl and we had a hardcore band together. Mm -hmm. Our seven inch, our 20 year seven inch, is like coming out any day now because we finally wanted to do a posthumous band project. But um, anyway, like I was doing like band stuff and these two white boys from Mobile called me up one day and was like, hey, like we're going to California and we have room in the van. We're going to Oakland. If you want to, someone dropped out. If you want to jump in the van and move to California, you can move to California. Now keep in mind, the furthest west I had ever been was Arkansas. Okay. Like I had not been to California. I ain't, you know what I'm saying? Like, but yeah. I was just like, fuck it. And I hopped in the van and went. Nice. Now I'm gonna telescope back once more for you. Okay. <laughs> like I my grandmother's brother was a blues musician. because okay. um, my great grandfather, my great great grandfather was a blues musician also. Mm-hmm. His name was Hard Rock Charlie. Okay. He like he he made so much money that he didn't have to pick cotton like he played the chitlin circuit on up to chicago and down anyway he had a servant girl in the house and he got the servant girl pregnant which was my great my great great grandmother okay so i'm from that lineage but he had a child with the the wife of the house anyway that's my uncle jj malone he came to california in the 60s but then he started playing like blues. Like he became like one of the Oakland blues Kings or mm-hmm. whatever. He, the club that he was the band leader at, right. Is like four blocks up the street from me. Okay. And he's like in the pictures of the shrines there and whatever. Mm-hmm. And my band plays there too sometimes. Oh, wow. So, and it's like, it's called Eli's mile high. And actually Marlon Riggs for his senior thesis at Berkeley, like, did a documentary on Eli's and my uncle appears in it for like a second, uh-huh. but um, it's like long train gone or something like that. Uh-huh. But anyway, like my uncle would come to Alabama in the summers and we would like jam out. We play music together. He'd show me just like what he knew. Cause I was like out of 30 some grandkids, I was the only one that played like guitar. I was the only one playing rock and roll. But he had this crazy white hippie girlfriend. And like, I swear to God, like (laughs) it was so crazy to think about them in the nineties in Alabama now, cause we thought they looked so odd, but they were closer to like West coast bohemians than we ever like picked up on. But anyway, I always got the vibe that him and his girlfriend knew a, that I was queer and B that I was a musician. So both of them, this is like from the moment I was 12 so every year I would see them, they'd be like, yo, you got to move to California. You have to move. You yeah. you got to get out to California. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not going to be happy here. Sure. So these were like kind of like the three big events that kind of pushed me over. To it. Yeah. You know, it's actually very, very interesting. I just uh, last month had a poet 
who's actually from the same neck of the woods as you. I think he grew up in Hartsel, I think. When I'm Hartsel, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know where that he randomly met a, a, a someone at a concert that was from California, and he went to visit this person out in California. And then he just recently moved to California to kind of do the same thing. Like she told him, "You need you belong in California." This is very strange. This kind of through line, these like connections, of people you know poaching Alabama folks over to California. But I get it. Um, it sounds like you flourished there, and it does sound like. Um, it was a place for you to be because you have, you do so many different creative things. Not to say that people aren't creative in Alabama, but I think, do you think there's that you more venues? Like, yeah. yeah. Like if you want to be a weird naked performance artist person, like you can do that in Alabama, how far it's going to go. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like the general culture here just allows for so much, like so much random shit to happen. But then also the California I stepped into is not the one the portal I walked through is gone. So even oh, wow. in talking about California, it kind of charts a certain history for me. Yeah. Sure. Well, hopefully we can get into that um, more throughout this conversation. Um, I want to get into what you do creatively. So you, you let us know that you, you write various things. Um, uh, and then you also do dance and you do music. Why, why get involved in the arts or creative expression to begin with like how did you get into these things i you know what i like i paid seventy thousand dollars for a damn theater degree so i'm like i better fucking make this worth it for me and for taxpayers and you know what i'm saying i can't be yeah. faking the funk at this point yeah um, but also my 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 family my mother and like my family just like just like I think being in the church choir, mm-hmm. my mom was the one that used to like run in Triana. There'd be like the Black History Month celebration. And like mm-hmm. every year, it's so fucking funny. Every year, my mother would dress like a slave woman, oh. and, like do her hair up and have a hoe. And like I'd be at the end of the stage dressed like a little slave boy. And she would recite Mother to Son by Langston Hughes. Yeah, yeah. Like that was like. Right? For me, ain't been no Christmas day. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that pants and rugs and floors torn up bare like yes and like that was her like that was like that's when she came that was her thing honey she was yeah. like that was and I never even thought about it but like oh like that was like my first that was my first like th- performance art sure. thing which is actually a pretty like that's a fire branded like I'm like sitting on stage and my mother's reciting Mother the Son. Absolutely. Let me like call let me call her and thank her actually. <laughs> let me like yeah. I was like, go off, mom. Like <laughs> so was this a part of a, was it you said it was a community thing, but was it like a church thing? No, it was actually oh. like the my mom was one of the directors of like the Triana Youth Center. And it's okay. like, yeah, it was like, you know, it's just they help kids with their homework. Like, you know, we'd have like town meetings and stuff. It actually is pretty remarkable as in, I do think in most like rural communities like that, most things happen within church, mm-hmm. but it was like, definitely, my mother was definitely, she was definitely, definitely always on her activist moment. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. she had come from like Tanner, Alabama. Okay. And so I just remember she, her always expressing like, it's weird because I always forget like when I became a punk or whatever like why my parents were so fucking scared for me Mm. but I always forget that they were the first generation of Alabama 
boys and girls that went to school with white people. Like my mom remembers integrating yeah. school. And I think that always left a sour mark in her mouth as mm-hmm. well as it, like as well it should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think by the time she went to Alabama A&M, she, she went to the HBCU to get like radicalized. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. my mom was really like, you know, she did that. I think by the time I got there, there were uh, there were other there were other things there were kind of other these these other things that were being pushed you know cool. where like it was great to be black at the you know HBCU but like not if they gonna act like a bunch of fucking Klansmen from the sixties around every yeah. other point of identity and so like yeah you know I think my mother like me and her have talked about that like before um, and then uh, you know she's I think she's like she sees it now. Like it's like it's so apparent now, but at the time she was just like, "Why would you? Why would you be in this like white, seemingly white scene or whatever?" Mm-hmm. Or just like how how an alternative kid, how a black alternative kid would have like read in the nineties. Like yeah. you see millennials with all these like colored hair, dressed like ravers, all this shit, and like. Mm-hmm. You have to remind them, like, yo, like we really used to get our ass beat for that, like yeah. just really like it was not an instagram moment like you really had to fight to be that yes. black and that yeah like so i don't know not yeah. to sound like a total fucking bitter auntie but i am no i you and you, as what well, like you said you have every right to be i mean i i wasn't i wasn't a punk let me say that but i was i i got punk adjacent if you will <laughs> my friend and i i guess we you're like, um, I still took them ass beats. Oops, sorry. You're, you're fine. Um, my friend and I, so just to kind of be on the same page, so I'm from Southern Alabama, the Mobile area, actually, the Bay Manette. Okay, that's where my fam- my other side of the family's from. Okay, well, we might be cousins. Um, I'm just going to say that. Uh, <laughs> um. And so my friend and I, we were part of the, we were like maybe two or four black kids in the gifted education program. And so obviously that exposed us to different things, kind of the same track that you're talking about. Same. Um, like we, she and I liked Creed. Well, I say like is in past tense. We like Creed and <laughs> and Stank and Nickelback. Even like stuff that white folks don't even listen to. And like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like and I won't speak for her, but I can definitely speak for myself. And it kind of ostracized me from the black community. Well, not the community as a whole, but like black other black friends and, and or the black students I was going to school with. And uh, I will—I don't think I had it as rough as it seems like it might have been for you. But I mean, I just kind of—it was just this thing. Either you had to be who you wanted to be, or you adjusted. And I just was too lazy to adjust, I guess. And so you know, like. I still got my Hoover Stink and the Creed albums now, you know, and I'm I'm just holding on to it. But as we move forward and we kind of look at it now, like this modern day, we got the Black Lives Matter movement, what's going on. So many like blackness is kind of having, you might even say it's like it's second uh, black renaissance, if you will. Um, and it's interesting for people, different black people to find their space. Yes. No, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like it's like, you have to be, my friend and I were just talking last night, you have to be a certain kind of black sometimes to ex- exist and, or be validated. It's, it's a strange, strange thing. And I actually have a question about that too. So before I get ahead of myself, I'm going to reel it back in. So um, let's go back to you. 
and theater. So where'd you, so you, you left a and where'd you actually end up getting your, your degree from? I actually got my undergrad degree at Cal State East Bay. Got it. Um, and then I got my master's degree, my MFA at UC Berkeley. Got it. Okay. And those were in, you said theater and both of them theater or was one? Right? Um, my, my undergraduate degree is in dance and theater and okay. my, um, my master's degree is in conceptual art practice. Got it. Whoa. You are very, that's very steep tonight. <laughs> like it's, it's more, I think it goes beyond like um, just the kind of like practical, not practical, but like the, the usual, you know, I'm studying English. I am studying, you know, that kind of, or just purely music. So I mean, what does that even mean? The, the conceptual art practice, what, it's like it means I did not come here to play with none of these hoes. Like, <laughs> That's what it sounds like for sure. Like it's no. like it sounds a little deeper. Um, well, it's it's a it's a degree that mostly around like art and art processing and being able to just kind of really honestly explain what you do. It's like they give you a studio for two years okay. and you make work, but like it's like you kind of you. You do writing around it, you know, performance around it, but it's mainly built around practice and and your cohort of 12, you're constantly presenting the work and you, oh, you host these like three hour discussions about the work and like you really, yeah, but um, it's, it's very, um, it's intensive, Um, but it was like, it was totally it couldn't have come at a better time in my life. And so I was really, 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 I'm really grateful for that experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so are we, because it, you've produced some incredible stuff. I will admit I've only, you've been on my reading list for a very long time, but I, but I have only written so read so far, um, 100 boyfriends. Um, and I just like blurred through it. Cause I was like, what am I reading? Like, this is so exciting. And also, uh, a lot of different things. Well, it, it caught me at a very interesting time in my life. So, um, like, why? What led you to writing One Hundred Boyfriends? Oh, um, kind of a lot of stuff. Like, I originally it was supposed to be like this poetry book. I think I tell the story all the time, but it's like it was originally like um, it was the installation of a dance piece I had done. Oh, like okay. I did this dance piece called Bombs Uber California okay. and I did a text install on the walls. And like, after I was deinstalling the show, I was looking at the text and I was like, actually, I really like this writing. I wonder if I could massage this into a longer work. Mm-hmm. And so originally it was supposed to be like this prose poetry book. Mm-hmm. Like the section called the book boyfriends is like the original bones of that book. Okay. And it was supposed to be, it was supposed to go to City Lights, but then I got the Whiting Award and I started working with FSG and um, I started working with FSG. Wait, I started working with FSG and they wanted to like, they wanted me to add stories to it because my first book, Johnny, Would You Love Me If My Dick Were Bigger, were like these like short stories and essays. Uh They just thought it... They like that kind of voice, you know. And so since I laid my burn down being a novel, it was, I think it was time. They wanted to switch around and go back to the short story voice, the short story (laughs) voice, Mm -hmm. because they think that's kind of like, I don't know, they thought like that's where the the voice was of that book. And I agree. 
So yeah, it's it's incredible. There, it definitely has a lot of voices. It's a good, so for people who haven't really uh, engaged with this 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 title, um, One Hundred Boyfriends was just released in uh, February of this year, and it's kind of like a collection of short stories, uh, um, almost some diary entry kind of feels like some moments, and just just vignettes of are they all autobiographical or are they um or is this just something that the reader has to because look on your face you're just like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, we ain't doing it. <laughs> that's fair that's fair um but it's a lot of there's a lot going on and i think people are um, raving about it because it's so um transparent and and honest and um it's really in your face. And that's one of the things I really liked about it. Um, I want to talk about two of these um, pieces. I don't know, know how to actually refer to them. How do I refer to them? Is it pieces? Are they short stories? Are they just nuggets? Offerings. Offerings, <laughs> yes. Yes, and they are offerings. Yes. Uh, so these offerings, um, two of them I want to point out that are specific too. Because So just as a note, they run the gamut in, in just kind of like, experiences but they're also literally all over the world so i actually pinned um two of these that were uh based in alabama and the first one that comes up is inherited winter coat and i'm not gonna i'm kind of like you know i just feel like you all have to go and read it for yourself but it's a very interesting um experience to um basically just go on this little trip so just tell us what what came uh how did uh inherited with your code come about like where what was the inspiration for this story come from um just kind of i don't know i like those stories where like the character is like having a very like specific kind of reckoning mm-hmm. you know um and also um there's um there's really just a look like I feel like being that like my dad lived in southern Alabama and my mom lived in northern Alabama just like I always would just that that ride from where like the foot of the Appalachians becomes the Gulf the Gulf Plains or whatever Mm -hmm. the the Gulf the Gulf Coastal Plains or whatever is just so like it's so etched in my memory and I just there's there's nothing quite that looks like it to me. Sure, um, sure. So it was about kind of capturing that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alabama from top to bottom, just geographically. Um, the dealing with the fact that there, it's the only time, like, well, not the only time, but one of the few times that a father figure appears in the story. Sure, and there's yeah. kind of the juxtaposition between, like, the father figure and, you know, the man that proposes to him at the mm-hmm. end of the story, not to give mm-hmm. too much away. Um, yeah, and just kind of like, I don't know, just kind of like an experience and, and like time, the character talks about just like, you know, California having this climate where it's almost seasonless, Mm -hmm. you know, right? like Alabama definitely has seasons and kind of reckoning, you know, and I think it is kind of like leaving this place of my youth, this place of this Peter Pan-ness and like, (laughs) Coming home and reckoning with like adulthood and like you know the death of a father and yeah. all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, and it, I think I think I, I read these really quickly um, right before we we hopped on just to refresh. And again, I, it was almost like I had never read it. It was like I read it for the first time, and it was so so very refreshing because I have this love affair with Alabama and its 
uh, its space, you know, the, the geographical um, diversity across the state, just as you said, and I, you, you, you captured that so beautifully and so perfectly. I, I just, I can gush over this <laughs> so, so much. Um, so again, I use, you just have to go in, uh, those who are listening, you just have to go in and, and experience this for yourself, but these are very, um, incredible stories and they definitely paint Alabama in a, in, in a way I think that makes people there proud uh, for sure. Um, so the other story that I wanted to kind of, or the other offering, if you will, that I wanted to talk about was it's called Ed's Name Written in Pencil. And I like this one specifically because I'm not, it's not in the slightest at all moonlight. However, <laughs> it, it gives us kind of like this experience of, queer youth and I think this is what I really latched on to um, reading it it is it was one of the very few times that I saw a story about a queer black young person that's like younger than a teenager uh, and so where did this story come from where did this how are you what inspired you to to capture this okay I'm just gonna have like a little bit of my this is my nicotine pen just to sure by all means <laughs> do your thing <laughs> Um, so that story, um, basically I was just kind of, um, it was mostly like being an uncle, like finally Mm -hmm. being of uncle age and also all the men that are my age are like fathers now, you know, Mm -hmm. probably in the next 10 years, like all the cousins and men in my age group, like are going to be granddads and (laughs) and seeing how, like how different, like the youth of our, like net, like their their youth is as opposed to ours because it's just like i remember like yeah like i don't think my nephews have been more than 20 or 30 minutes outside of some form of adult supervision in their life Mm. whereas like we like i felt like we got dropped off at grandma's we'd be walking the road the oldest amongst us be 13 Mm -hmm. so it's like you know the character in that book mickey is like i really do think is like you know, kind of having some pretty gut-wrenching experiences, but mm-hmm. it is reflective of this kind of more open childhood, like this mm-hmm. kind of open, feral mm-hmm. childhood that, like, you know, kids really have in that time and, like, you know, just the wealth of experiences that can happen. And just really, in some ways, I just think the 80s culturally is probably closer to the 60s than anything we sure. <laughs> experience these days around that, you know. But then also, I do think that these kind of, these the way we grew up is like kind of the blueprint for how childhood has become a way more precious institution you know when you move from like oh like you know moving on that idea of like children as property or children to be seen and not heard or children just as these appendages to like oh like this is like this is someone that's gonna grow up and like have like have to move in the world you know so so it was about kind of capturing capturing that i think yeah i mean it's true children um i'm reminded do you know sweet honey in the rock by anything yeah i I saw the octavia the octavia butler kind of what was it it was like the play or they did the music for it down at ucla or last year the year before last yeah Yeah. i remember that i kind of grew up on them a little bit and they have this song uh, that says your children are not your children they are um, they belong, they, of, they are of you, but they don't belong to you. And I think that's very, very important. 
um, because they are literally having their own life experiences as young as, you know, five, six, or even younger than that, you know? And I think, again, no. this story definitely captured that. And it, and there were some similarities. It was, I mean, I didn't, I was, I was, I'm not Mickey. I cannot say that at all, but there are some of the things that he experienced that he saw that I was just like, whoa. And it really kind of brought me back to my own childhood about um, just about those experiences and how, not that they were like overwhelming, but they were like, that was life. I was living, right? Even as a child, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Again, I think you, it's incredibly written. Um, the, the landscape is captured again, just um, beautifully. I just am so thoroughly in love with those particular uh, offerings. But I mean, the entire book is just a whirlwind and an incredible ride. Um, I'm just so glad you wrote it, really. Um, because it's, it's, I don't know, like I told you when I approached you, it's very important to me. So, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> that means a lot coming from you. And, like, just also, like, like, quite honestly, like, I feel like I'm always talking about this book. This is the first time I've ever talked about this book with another, like, queer Black man from, well, yeah. is, what are your pronouns? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, it's, like, really cool to talk about this with another, like, queer Black man from Alabama because up in the, you, this is the first time a queer Black man from Alabama has sat down and asked me about this goddamn book. Wow. Too. So, so. Well, I, I guess, I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, that's whenever I, I came across it, I was like, well, it's just... It's just important, and I think everybody needs to hear it. It's, it's just kind of maybe like a character flaw of myself, but if I think something is really cool, I feel like everybody else should feel the same way about it. And so that's what this is about. This is why we're having this conversation, because it is so, so very important. Um, and so I just encourage, if you know, whoever's listening, uh, to dive in. It's like it, it would probably be a world that you are not super familiar with, but that's part of the experience. That's part of the adventure. Um, you will probably learn something about yourself or maybe someone in your life. Um just by going through this, or if, if not that deep, you'll definitely just get a good read. <laughs> Some good stories for sure. So uh, 100 Boyfriends. Um, yeah. So I guess to kind of continue this conversation, going back to what we were talking about before, one of the reasons I love 100 Boyfriends is because it, it's it's unapologetically queer. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. And then it's unapologetically black, but not necessarily... Um, in the ways that most people think about queerness and blackness, and I, 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 and it kind of goes immediately back to our the conversation that we had opening up. Like it's not this cookie cutter version of what it means to be black or the black experience, and so that's why I, I love it. But I think it's a great representation of that. But I've been seeing a lot of conversations on the the interwebs. And there are the contingent of folks who just feel like, oh, this is great, but like representation of Black folks in, in the mainstream media and that sort of thing, it's not one of the most important things that we need to be focusing on. They're like, oh, we need to focus on other aspects of Black liberation and da-da-da-da. And I agree with that, but I also take offense to this kind of thing about representation because it's so important, especially for us queer Black men, right? Um, so, yeah. I, so, I mean, what would you, how do you feel about that? Would you think, do you think, I mean, I don't, you didn't necessarily set out for the book to be that like a representation, did you, or or did you not, or what 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 was was that part of your thinking as you were writing it, or you just pouring your guts out, right? <laughs> no, well, I don't know, cause it's like 
It's really so hard because I feel like anything I do is like inherently black. Like, sure. even when I'm on like the sellout label, I'm still a nigga and still a threat. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. whether I'm intending to be or not, you right. know? That's true. So there's, there's kind of always that. And I just felt like, I don't know. I felt like since I laid my burn down, was like, you know, like that was like my black boy called the arms novel. Like that was my native son. Yeah. And it just didn't buy it. So by the time I got to 100 boyfriends, I'm like, well, I already did that. I can just write, you know, yeah, like whatever, yeah. like whatever I want. And uh-huh. that, that, I don't know, that it wasn't, I don't think with 100 boyfriends, it's probably as apparent to me, it wasn't as apparent to me or felt like this crusade or purposeful thing as it was with other stuff I've written. But I mean, also, it's just like, I also don't feel like I have to like do make a necessarily intention for that because it's just like it like it that that is always in the DNA. Like that's always in the background and like whatever I do. So. But yeah, I really was like, I don't know, I was. Oh, I was I was thinking about definitely other things, and I think what I was mostly thinking about was temporality, or like how would you condense one soul through like you know several several multiverses simultaneously mm-hmm. happening at once. So, yeah, and I got that. I mean, I just just quick, really quick offshoot this of a uh, random question. Are have you are you into like Kerouac or the Beatniks at all? Yeah, I'm like I'm pitching my next. Po- I'm pitching a pocket poet series to City Lights as we talk, and this was originally supposed to be on City Lights. But yeah, like, or I was originally talking to them about it, or um, um, going over it with them. Like, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, like. What's funny too is I don't think I actually read a lot of the deeper beatniks texts until like my twenties. Yeah, like I was um. I had this like I had this boyfriend in San Francisco who was a poet mm-hmm. and he introduced me to a lot of stuff that I had never read. Mm-hmm. Um but like yeah, by the time by the time I was fourteen or fifteen, I had definitely read Howell and it was always like kinda <laughs> you know what I'm saying, it was invocative through my head, yeah. So yeah. I always thought yeah, I was always thinking in terms of beatniks. I remember trying to read on the road and not being able to get through it. Sure. So well it- well, this, I mean, there are several stories in 100 Boyfriends that definitely reminded me of, of that, especially the, the one uh, with the, the guy who's uh, on the weed farm, I think, in California. Uh-huh. That was hardcore. I forget which, which one of those stories, but that definitely reminded me. I was like, this this is... Oh, early retirement. That, that one's called early retirement. Early retirement. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, okay, yeah. No spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but I definitely hardcore felt... Um, some of the inspirations from that, and I don't know. I think just going back to the original question, I think it's. it's I really appreciate you not feeling uh, beholden to this. I this, this quote unquote black agenda or doing what you. I think that's just. It's so important that you stand out in that way to me again, because it's about this this forging space, um, furthering this um, narrative that you know blackness is the monolith, and so. Yeah, uh, I, so I actually have, have to go back to do um, since I laid my burden down for sure. I mean, it's been on, that's been on my uh, reading list, but I think I'm just I'm trying to be hot and current these days. So that's why I started with this one. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, so I mean, would, so what would you say to people who kind of feel like who push back on this representation narrative? Like, just I'm just curious. Like, 
if someone said, oh, well, this isn't Black enough or this isn't that important, like, what would you... I'll tell him to go kiss my motherfucking ass. Because really, like, you know, okay, so at this point, I really think that, like, I have this radical belief that, like, Black people can actually do whatever the fuck they feel like just because it's, like, nothing we do is ever quite enough, you know, and... Or, like... too many overtures just seem disgenuine. Yeah. I think it's funny. What I think is funny to me is like, when I think of how many like young black writers, young black writers that are concerned with respectability, how often they echo the name like James Baldwin <laughs> or they're always so quick to be like Zora Neale Hurston or whatever. And I'm just like, you realize that these were like some misogyny committing drunken drug <laughs> addict like i was just like yo like james baldwin was in europe fucking white boys like he there is nothing about that man's life or character that like some you know what i'm saying that this right. like kind of these respectable like young black writers like they don't their lives don't look nearly as experimental as that you know what i'm saying absolutely you read, like this Arnell hurston like reader and like she's like talking about like being naked on a rug, like making a deal with Satan in 1942. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that bitch was fucking on one. Like <laughs> sometimes I do think like in these, like kind of like these like black circles too, like we forget that like these prime movers were like fucking crazy fucking black people. They were like fucking like experimenting, you know, with the fucking world around them. And I don't always see these like, I don't feel like I read enough black literature that is making these bold choices. Like we still get Issa Rae being like, this guy came in my mouth, you know, like (laughs) to this day, I feel like the black wallflower gets so much more play and respect and like the black crazy bitch or the black slut or whatever, when we can be like these equally as like deep characters. Yeah. So I just, Damn, I forgot the question. I just went off. <laughs> Sorry. No, it, it, it's exactly, I mean, we, I, we feel the same. It's just, I'm so glad you pointed that out about James Baldwin, though, because it's, I mean, I love James Baldwin. He's like literally all over my house. Um, but I love the whole James Baldwin. I mean, that's actually the book I'm reading now, Another Country, which again, Another Country, which is uh, almost like all the characters in it, the majority of the characters in that book, is, they are white. Like, there's only maybe two black characters that are like, the main characters. Uh, and so I'm just wondering if, you know, people who are, you know, super down or whatever are understanding that, you know, J- Jimmy wrote about all kinds of stuff and he experienced a ton of stuff. I think his biggest, his main lover that he always loved was like a French dude, like that was white, you know? So again, like you said, um, they're out here. And I just think it's very important for people, not only uh, for black people, but also just for the rest of the world to know to un- to liberate us in that sense. Stop putting these expectations on black folks to fit inside of a box. And yeah. we are multifaceted and we have all these incredible things inside of us that aren't just um, something that somebody prescribed to us or whatever. Just res- uh, another brand of respectability, if you will. It's like we traded one respectable respectability narrative for another and it's just, it's a lot. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of like, it's so, <sighs> it's so weighted upon me when it's just like, Because really, honestly, like, Black neoliberal fundamentalism is, like, its own other fucking thing. And essentially, it just goes back to a bunch of fucking Black folks acting like stuffy fucking church people. And we all ran away from that. Right. So, 
I'm like, how do we move outside of this seemingly like circular path of just like non-inspiration? I don't know. Yeah. I do my best. Um, right. Well, I see definitely see you doing your best and it's definitely inspiring to me. Um, and it's actually a good segue into this next thing. So we've talked about blackness and let's talk about queerness particularly. It is June. <laughs> for sure pride time and so i mean what does pride mean to you um and your queerness if you will you know it used to mean just walking around in a jock strap on gay pride and just right. calling it a day like just you know like i'm like okay i did it finally but um i don't know it's i don't know it changes so much and like now, what is it today? <laughs> I feel like the word queer is probably a straight white woman on a grant board. Honestly, that's like I feel like yeah, we, I feel like that term has been gentrified, taken. In fact, I don't even refer to like when people try to call me like a queer person of color. I'm like, no, I'm a black old school homosexual. Let's be very specific here, yeah. just because you know. Uh, umbrella terms are really funny because you know everybody will jump in on them and it's yeah. just like even within that I feel like just certain kind of things like get erased all the time and mm-hmm. I don't know like I don't know sometimes I do feel like I get into it like maybe with like younger black non-binary people about like a cis identity and I'm just like Fool, like they never really fucked with black faggots in the first place. They ain't never listened to us. Like, and so like I could morph into something different. Like, I'm just like, I'm always like again, still a nigga, still a threat. Yeah. So I don't know. I I I I sit very I sit very like stoutly in my lane. Like I respect other people's, but I'm very like, no, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I, we still got some things to say. For sure. Some to settle, some things to clear up. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm kind of of the same mind, like, and and finding comfort in that and in 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 that lane, and not necessarily like like settling, but just being comfortable enough to say you won't be influenced or something like that by all everything else that's going on or pushed in a certain way. Like that's that's a lot, and and I think I find myself finding that again. I think that's very exciting. I love it so much. because you don't have to do or subscribe to this overarching idea of what pride might be. It's it, it you can do your own thing, right? Yeah, and hell, sometimes some years I'm not proud at all. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> I ain't fucking with none of you dykes or faggots and <laughs> sitting my ass at home, y'all shady. Yeah. Oh, y'all like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. you know, we all get testy about a family reunion some years, so. <laughs> like, no, I ain't going. Fuck that's, up. No, yeah, that's real. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, just so this is an offshoot question. I mean, so you come back and forth to Alabama, yeah? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Every year. Uh I mean again, obviously some of your stories in uh 100 boyfriends, I mean, although they're not necessarily autobiographical. What's like the been the experience been like um in California? versus in Alabama, the queer, quote unquote, queer experience. I'm asking this because 
I think people have paint this, they have this idea of Alabama being um, very conservative, very religious, da, 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 da. And it is definitely that, but the LGBT community plus, LGBT plus community is definitely very much so present in Alabama and they're thriving in their own respect. So what's your experience been like both in Alabama and in California? Or just kind of give us an idea of like, well, I had kind of, I like, there were kind of two things going on with me because, like, I was like, I was definitely gay, but I also was like a pretty intense counterculturalist. Sure. So, just like, like by proxy of that, I do, I just felt like this, this has always just felt like more like home for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. As I have grown more comfortable in my skin and with myself and just loving myself that kind of move that of going back home becomes easier and easier. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, like, you know, California leaves a lot to the imagination. Cause it's like, like the Bay area, for instance, like, like in the early eighties, I think was like 40% black or something like that. Now it's down to 15. Like, no, the black people, the black population has gone back down South, you know, as they say, like our homeland, you know, if you will. And it's also like, also, like when the, watching the kind of the economics of a place change, mm-hmm. and so in a place w- with like a five or ten percent black population, like ninety eight percent of the homeless population is black. Yeah. Like when I go home, like when I go home to Alabama, I don't really see a bunch of black people sleeping in tents. You know. Yeah. Yeah set around this idea of like you know this beautiful liberal place where nothing like bad happens to anybody like you know it's a it's 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 very weighted how you know what what the pros and cons are but then of course i don't know like still down south it's like the rate of like hiv amongst like black and latino men like it's just so like Oh no, it's so heartbreaking. And I remember like, cause I have a younger cousin. See, I have a younger cousin. I have a younger cousin. He's about four years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think this was like four or five years ago. I remember like having an argument with him that prep actually existed. Like he did, you know what I'm saying? Like I told him about prep and he was just like, no, it, you can't, it can't be. What are you talking about? Right. But then also he's of that, I think that generation or that like, or that class, a particular class of Alabama gay men that just never really, he was always, he was always in his lane there in a way I just wasn't, you know, like job at the bank, boyfriend, you know, church choir on the weekend. I remember in my 20s, I was probably, I was probably about 25. So he was 21. I was like, yo, don't you ever feel oppressed here? And he just being like, yo, oppressed. Like, what's that? You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, you know, I could like the older I get, I think more and more about these differences in two different places. But I mean, it, but essentially what would it take for me to move back to Alabama? Oh yeah. I'd have to probably... (laughs) <laughs> let me let me think about it wow, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. this is i just i can't i can't even conceive of it like 
Because sometimes I say it all the time. I was like, I shouldn't have been out here in California having sex with all these white boys and doing all these drugs. I should have just like, you know, I should have got my black church husband and just moved to Birmingham, <laughs> called it a day. <laughs> oh, I I, no, well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. But I think you can do, I can, you have lived your life and you are living your life. But I think, it's possible to still come back and still be and you out like do you feel like you can't come back and like still be you or would you have to come back and like go back into this Alabama queer gay black man shell you know i don't really know cuz it's also one of those things too where it's like i've never really had like that deep that deep familial rejection either cuz it's like i like people in california all the time just assume that like maybe like my family doesn't talk to me cuz they're all black christian people when it's like i definitely come from a very very strong sense of clan and sure. family and like just type you know what i'm saying like i could y'all could be i could kill motherfuckers and eat them like my family's still showing up to the like the jail just be like say what's up hey how you doing you know what i'm saying like it's really like it's really like that you know um so there there isn't there isn't there isn't really that but then also i'm just like I don't know the multitude, the multitudes of like how I've made money here, how inventive I can be around money. Like mm-hmm. you ain't going to go clip no weed in Alabama unless you want like something bad to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you can't yeah. just go up on the hill and make some money like that real quick. So, well, I want. I mean, if you can't, uh, I, that's something I want you to think about more. Maybe you, if you can tell me later. But that's, I mean, that's something I have in my. I want it for the state just because I know we do like it the album hemorrhages so many cool people, so many people with talents and so many good people with ideas and, and things that could benefit the state. And I'm all for going out and experiencing life, but I would also like for us to come back and somehow feed the state and actually help it become what it can be. So that was you. You brought the question up, but what would it take for you to come back to Alabama? So I really want to know that, that answer eventually. You, know, you don't have to tell me now if you don't have it on top of your head, but I will definitely be... <laughs> it will definitely be on my, on my mind, for sure. For sure. You just have to call me, honestly. Okay. And to come back? But all right, we're we'll ready for you. Let's come, come on back. Okay, all right. All right, hold on. Let me go. Let me pack real quick. <laughs> all right. Noted. <laughs> It is <laughs> It is a for posterity. That's that's the record, and we're gonna hold you to that. Um, but um, so, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little just then. But what does it? What does Alabama mean to you? Even though like you're so far away, you're still writing about it in, in your in your your um, in this most current book and in other places. I'm sure. What does it mean to you? Like, is it? Do you have like this super strong sense of home and like? Maybe even some kind of longing ever or no, yeah. And I just think I don't know. I think we all we all understand the world from where we first generate from it. You know what I'm saying? Just like so many, I don't know, like I don't know, Flannery O'Connor writes about like Georgia, like, you know, Snoop Dogg writes about Long Beach, uh-huh. like, <laughs> like <laughs> Ocean. I don't know, like, um, I almost said Ocean Vong, but I actually don't know where he writes about or where <laughs> they write about. But, you know, like, so I've, I just, um, 
I always think about like, you know, like kind of like people describing like their first, their first, I don't know, their, their first sense of like locale mm-hmm. or, ge- or geographic and like, you know, you know, you can't tell everything about a person, but you can about guess what they went through. You can make like some type of approximate about it. And so, yeah, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely that. And then also, I don't know, like, I think in general, Alabama, like always reaps like this really kind of radical harvest, you know, I remember how early on, like, I remember like just learning that like Tallulah Bankhead was from Huntsville and I was just like, of course this fucking flapper bitch that said fuck it is like from Huntsville. You know what I'm saying? Like it finally got a context of it or like when you hear like, I don't know, you hear like Harper Lee talk about being friends with Truman Capote when they were kids and Mm -hmm. just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I just think, you know, just like kind of like the ghost and wonderment and sparseness and like really fire branded like pictures of justice and mm-hmm. I don't know I just it always kind of has its own cachet and its own mystique and I always um I don't know I, I am always thinking in terms of home so great that is very very warming and endearing to hear because I it, it's because again I, some people they they leave here and they don't even look back ever and they're just like oh I'm done and <laughs> That hurts a little bit, but I get it, right? But it's good that some, that you and I both, because I'm definitely the same way. I, I I don't remain inside Alabama at all, but I definitely hold it very close and and hold on to that identity to help inform as I move parts of that identity as I help and as I move through the rest of the world. Um, so, I mean, as we're wrapping up, I ask everybody this question: We're talking about Alabama and how we are related to it and everything. Moving forward, what is your hope for Alabama? That they legalize weed. <laughs> All right. There you have it, everyone. That's the only thing I can really say for my home state. I'm, you know, I'm not holding my breath on too much, but if they can get around to that, I think it might be a for real new day down south. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. It, 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 it will be like a little gateway drug, right? <laughs> Yeah, for a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of cool and good things, I can see that for sure. All right, well, um, you have an Insta? Absolutely, yes, I do. And that's what I was literally going to ask you. Um, first of all, I'll give you that, but like on your end, what's the latest with you? What you got going on? How can people follow you? How can they keep up with you? Um, I'm taking a picture. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Um, Brontes Purnell at Instagram or Brontes Purnell on Facebook. Okay. All right. Or, and- or here, you can have my social security number. Okay. Four- <laughs> <laughs> so I got the pencil, went immediately. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so y'all, like, Alabama, yo, like, Brontes is out here. <laughs> he's repping um, a lot of different things, but he's repping our state, I think, beautifully. So y'all should definitely follow him on Instagram, uh, follow him on Facebook, go find his books. I mean, they're everywhere, right? Like you can. Yeah, they they are out there. Everywhere. So just go, don't necessarily go to Amazon, go find a nice, cute little indie bookstore to buy. Um, you know, 100 Boyfriends or Since I Let My Burden Down. That's going to be my next. I'm actually going to go buy that this next week when I get paid. Ow. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, that's y'all follow him and keep up with them. And Brontes, thank you so much for this conversation. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Call me anytime. And that's a wrap. Not only for this episode, but for the whole first season of the Higher Ground Society podcast. That's right. Since October 2020, we've witnessed 10 incredible conversations with Alabama creatives and thinkers, which spanned 15 podcast episodes. It's been a wonderful experience for me, and I hope the same for you. It doesn't matter if you've been with us from the beginning or if this is your first time listening in. I'm so grateful you've been along for the ride. Also, a final thank you to author Brontes Purnell for joining me to round out this season with that amazing conversation. The music for this episode was created by Birmingham music businesswoman Jasmine Garfield. Be sure to subscribe to the Higher Ground Society podcast wherever you listen to your podcast so that you don't miss future episodes. We'll take a bit of a break this summer, but we're striving to come back strong at the end of September with more engaging conversations in season two. Until then, be easy.